empaths have this beautiful part of them that developed to keep them safe because we needed to learn at some point in our life that we have to be so in tune with the subtle shifts of the people in our lives because at any point, their mood switch, their behavior changes can deeply impact us. You know, we call it impact in the spiritual world, but in the clinical world, we call it trauma. Labels aside, we're in tune and there's a reason for it. And it's protective in a lot of ways and it can be debilitating in a lot of ways if we don't learn how to have a boundary with it. My wonderful guest today, Brittany Quagan, is a licensed therapist, intuitive healer, and psychic medium who brilliantly straddles both the clinical and spiritual worlds. She's a trauma survivor, an empath, and has done amazing research on the subject of hearing voices, both within experiences that get labeled as psychosis and in the context of psychic mediumship with a mission to normalize and build community around these fairly common experiences. Heads up, in this episode, we do use adult language, so put headphones in if little ones are around. Hi, I'm Jasmine Russell, and this is Depth Work, a holistic mental health podcast. This is a space for those who love to dive into the underbelly, to revel in the mystery, question assumptions about what's normal, play in the both and, and honor the wide range of human emotion. As a complex trauma survivor, holistic counselor, and co-founder of a mental health training institute, I've learned that there is immense wisdom in our pain, and that what we call crazy is just what we are not yet willing to understand and explore. I'm so glad that you're here, so let's dive in. Brittany, I'm so excited to have you on the Depth Work Podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I am more than excited to be here. (laughs) Yay. So you and I met at, I always forget the name of this acronym, the ISPS conference, the International Society for Psychological and Social Approaches to Psychosis. Got it. (laughs) I'm glad you remembered that because I didn't. (laughs) And this, this is where I heard some of the research that you were doing on hearing voices and the links between um, mental health and psychic mediumship. You bridge these worlds, in my opinion, from everything that I've seen in your work so beautifully. You are someone that have, you know, you're a therapist, a healer, um, a psychic medium. And, and I feel like we just have a lot of resonance in that. So I would love to hear just some of your lived experiences, your story, especially early on, because on your website, you talk a bit about having these kind of early experiences with hearing voices, seeing visions, or having these kind of mystical experiences. So I'm super curious what that was like for you and how that led you here today. Oh, absolutely. I like to think that I was born a spooky bitch. I'm I'm not sure if I can say swears. (laughs) Yes, you can. I love it. Probably should have asked that before, but I was born a spooky bitch and um, very much drawn to the things that make us a little bit different, a little bit unusual, but I really started to have real experiences as a young adult. I would hear things, I would see things and I didn't really think anything of it. I just thought like, oh, this is just a normal part of life. 
the first time that I realized I might be a little bit strange <laughs> was when my mother and I moved to a condo after my parents got divorced. And there was this woman that was just strolling around the condo all the time. And I vividly remember what she looked like. She had this long grayish blonde hair and she had this kind of like a nightgown on and she would fumble around the house. And I would always think my mom had either just walked into the door from work and I'd be like, oh, hey, mom. And no one would say anything. And then I'd come around the corner and no one was there. And then my mom was upstairs the whole time. And, and she started to look at me like, what? I don't know what you're talking about, Brittany. There's, there's nothing going on in this house. But I was like, mom, there's a ghost here. There's a ghost here. And she's chilling. She's fine. Like She's not freaking me out or anything. But how come no one else is seeing this? Everyone just thought I was kind of weird. And then about a year after that, my mom knew that there was something different about me as far as like the psychic medium piece goes, because at the time she was dating someone and I had a dream about this person and I woke up in the morning and I said to my mom, I think your boyfriend is cheating on you with men. And my mom's Mm -hmm. face kind of drained of color and I didn't really connect the dots. And then the door opened and he walked in from work because he worked third shift. And I just turned and looked at him because I was this sassy young teen. And I was like, are you sleeping with dudes behind my mom's back? And I guess at, at the time, my mom later told me that she was in back of me going like, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. <laughs> and it turned out... <laughs> This thing is really happening, but there was nothing going on in my life that indicated that this was something that I would know. There was no evidence about it. I hardly spent any time with this person, but that's when my mom sat me down and was like, I think you have some shit going on (laughs) because you know stuff that you shouldn't know. And it's kind of freaking me out. And that kind of set set the, the pace for this very long journey I ended up going on with exploring things that we don't often talk about or encourage people to develop as as a skill. Yeah. Or we immediately write it off as, you know, they're crazy. Did the people in your life, I guess your mom or others at the time, how did they frame this? How did you start to understand this? Was it like, I'm a witch, yay? Or <laughs> more likely, was it, you know, what's wrong with you? What's going on? <laughs> uh, my mom is also a spooky bitch. So she was, she, she didn't really think anything or frame it in a way that was negative. I more so started to experience that negative framework about the things I was experiencing when I started to like come out of the broom closet about it mm-hmm. when I was in my 20s. The experiences that I was more so stigmatized for, I guess you could say, or, or labeled for were my experiences as an empath. So I would feel things very deeply and that led me to 
experience really um, terrifying levels of panic and anxiety because I wouldn't know what was going on. I would have these depressive episodes too because things would just feel so intense and heavy and I was very sensitive to it. And so I was, I would get like the eye rolls and the what's wrong with yous and uh, you're fucking nuts. <laughs> like that mm-hmm. stuff about my, my inner world and the way that I experienced things. Those experiences sent me down a path of struggling with my mental health. But interestingly enough, the seeing and hearing things didn't even register on anybody's radar because they just kind of roped that into Brittany's just in that job. (laughs) (laughs) So at what point, if ever, did this kind of whole spectrum of experiences plus the depression, anxiety, and panic from the intense emotion, at what point did that become a, a crisis or a turning point for you? That's a great question. So I was a teenager mid-teens, I guess you could say. And I was really struggling with my anxiety and depression at the time. And it was actually my voices, which you may have heard me share this at the conference. My voices, which I now refer to as spirit guides, were were the thing that saved my life because I was contemplating suicide. Just to give some background, I, I had a lot of childhood trauma. My mom also had quite a bit of trauma and she was struggling with drugs and and alcohol at the time. So I was kind of on my own. I was in this place of just loneliness. There was no one home ever. It was always dark. My mom was always locked in a room, like blowing Coke or whatever the hell she was doing in there. And I was just in my room uh, going through teen things, which are hard to go through on your own as it is. But having uh, these more, just more deeply emotional experiences and yeah, contemplating suicide. My guides kept me from doing that by sort of encouraging me that, you know, this is just for now and there's things that were, that are going to be happening in your future to help people and you're going to write books and all this shit. And I'm like, what? Like I, I still to this day working with people with depression and having experienced depression myself, really, I'm like, our narrative is not rooted in all of this empowerment. So I, to me, that wouldn't have come from myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that helped me through this, but the, the suicidality kind of subsided and the anxiety got worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where just before college, I like, had locked myself in a basement for like two weeks. So I was like, I just couldn't handle the outside world. Feeling people's things are just far too intense for me. I actually had to drop out of college. I went for like a week and I freaked out and had to drop out of school. I had to quit my job. I couldn't drive a car anymore. And it became this really debilitating thing. And so I was probably about 18 or 19 when, when things like hit their peak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And you mentioned trauma and maybe even ancestral or intergenerational trauma. I think that's a huge piece. I mean, we see this in the research when it can, and we don't need necessarily the research to show us or help us understand this, that trauma, a lot of people can carry the weight of intergenerational trauma and messages and signs and signals that are trying to come through us that then show up or manifest as what gets labeled as psychosis. But often it's just, you know, we're here to heal ourselves and our family line. How, if, if at all, was that a part of your story? Oh, that's a huge part of it. And what's interesting is I only recently in the last few years really started to explore this. Have you read the be- the book? It didn't start with you. Yes, it's great. Oh my God. So good. So that book really just opened my eyes and shook me to my core. So it's like, holy shit, there is so much that I unpacked about just the things that have carried on in my family that I was carrying that made absolutely no logical sense for what I had experienced as a kid, even just as a really, really, really young person. And when I say young person, I mean like two. And actually we have video footage of this. Two years old, I was so, I had such health paranoia. Just, I was going to die at any moment. And here were all the reasons that I was going to die. And at two years old, we have this on video. I'm grabbing my head. I looked into the camera and I was like, oh, I have a terrible headache. I think I'm pregnant. And even though that had nothing to do with death, everything was always really extreme. Interestingly enough, my mom was pregnant and didn't know it at the time. So that could have also been like psychic baby Brittany. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But I was just so in tune with my physical experience and what that could mean in terms of like something imminent or dangerous. And it made no sense why I was so freaked out. My parents would tell me that if I cut my finger, it was like I had to go get it amputated. And then I was going to lose my arm and it was the end of the world. I, you know, not long ago, I was still this way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my mom, my mom had lost her father when she was 12. She found him dead from a massive heart attack. And that clearly just sent ripples through my family. But later on, I was, I was learning about how my grandmother's mother, so my great grandmother had all these mystery, like had a mystery illness from having mesh from her pregnancy, like the birth. Yeah. So it was, they was still in there. And then she developed all these like cancers and like, things going on that they later determined was because they, they sewed her up with stuff. So this idea that catastrophic things could happen to us at any moment in time was already so steeped in my family and everybody was always on edge. My grandmother would sleep in the hallway with a knife. And I was somebody who, again, really little four or five was always like, someone's going to murder us. Someone's (laughs) going to break in and kill us. This is going to happen. But no one ever talked about these things. So it's like this energy that they carried and these belief systems they just held on to so strongly just wiggled their way into my nervous system from the moment I was conceived. And it made so much sense to me as I connected the dots about 
these like really irrational and catastrophic fears that I had from being really tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. And what I, what I love that also gets described in the book that you mentioned is that this can happen in ways that are so subtle, so subconscious, so in our nervous system and, and the energy that gets passed down through us. It doesn't have to be talked about or known. It doesn't even have to be a family pattern or behavioral pattern. We can live out some of what our ancestors lived out without having any awareness or connection to it. Absolutely. And even just thinking right now about the target areas in my body that I would always worried about, worry about, it was like my stomach, which my grandmother, my great grandmother had stomach cancer. And then it would be, you know, my reproductive system, which it started in that area, then my heart, and then my brain. And like all of these areas where people had like tragic deaths mm-hmm. in my family are like where I hyperfixate that something is, is going to go wrong with me. And again, no one talks about it. I didn't learn about this until I was in my 20s or 30s, but little four-year-old me was like, oh, the horror. I'm going to die at any moment. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. So the ancestral piece, that's one piece. Are there other frameworks that you use? Obviously, you know, a trauma framework, understanding the transmission of trauma. Are there other frameworks, ideas, uh, systems that you use to understand what was happening with you at that time? It's a good question too. To understand what was happening with me, I look at, I think the ancestral piece is, is actually a huge part of this because I look at what my parents experienced and what their parents experienced and how that led to their emotional intelligence and the development of their ability to parent, but also just be functioning adults, which they really aren't. (laughs) (laughs) I really look at how the family dynamic built upon itself with the humans that brought me and my siblings into this world. And then how that played off of one another. And then how my internal world was created and the way I perceived the world based on how I experienced it with these humans. And then I like to use, I'm a huge fan of internal family systems Mm -hmm. and looking at the parts of me that developed at different stages throughout my life and, and why those parts developed and how they're helping me and how I can work with them as opposed to fighting with them um, just to feel more grounded and connected to myself and to the world and the universe (laughs) and my spirit guides and all that good stuff. But that it's been, it's been a hell of a freaking journey to, to really explore who I am and how all of these parts of me got here. And I love doing it through that lens of like, all right, who is this part showing up and how did you get here? And really like tracing those things back helps me understand that on a much deeper level without judging the shit out of myself for the parts that I have that like to show up at certain times where I'm feeling scared or 
triggered in whatever way and and exploring where I learned. Yeah. Where did I learn these beliefs? Where did I learn these feelings? Where did I learn that this is how I have to show up in the world? And it really helps me to, to create a bigger puzzle. Yeah. I love parts work too. So much. So helpful. So it's so good. I love it. Yeah. What's a part that you've worked with quite a bit? Yeah. That you've done some of this work with that might be, you know, related to some of your spiritual gifts or navigating that. Oh, well, certainly the part of me that I see as an empath, very much connected to both my spirituality and my trauma because empaths have this beautiful part of them that developed to keep them safe because we needed to learn at some point in our life that we have to be so in tune with the subtle shifts of the people in our lives because at any point their mood switch, their behavior changes can deeply impact us. And I had parents who, again, were emotionally very immature and did not know how to regulate their emotions. I had a mom who externalized everything and turned to substances from the time she was little. My mom never got help for finding her freaking dad dead on the floor. Like, what the fuck? And then she was just left to fend for herself because her mom just abandon her. Like she never worked on this shit. And so she has no idea how to regulate her emotions. So I basically had a 12 year old as a mother. And then I have this father who has wildly narcissistic tendencies and does not want to hear or listen to anything that anybody around him wants to say. It's always his way or the highway. Never was in tune with someone's emotional state would just scream at any moment. You never knew what mood he was going to be in. So you were always on edge. And so here I was this little peanut that I had no choice but to develop this part that was like, I could tell you were in a bad mood before you even open your fucking eyes. And (laughs) so, you know, we call it empath in the spiritual world, but in the clinical world, we call it trauma, but labels. (laughs) Hypervigilance. Yeah. (laughs) Labels aside, it's we're in tune and there's a reason for it. And it's protective in a lot of ways. And it can be debilitating in a lot of ways if we don't learn how to have a boundary with it. But that's a part I've worked on for years because mm-hmm. at one point it was so overwhelming. And the more I thought about it, when it started to peak, like this was when my mom was going through some really heavy things, but kept it all so tightly within her and then would just, you know, take pills and do whatever. But I just felt her shit all day long and then felt responsible to try and fix it. And I feel like with with being an empath, that's part of the boundary setting that we have to do is how to not take responsibility for other people's shit. And that could be a hard thing to to set apart that like I can feel this and recognize it and then let it go because it's not my shit versus taking it on and like we're carrying like a rucksack full of other people's shit through through our life. Exactly. 
I feel like step one is discernment. What's mine and what's not mine? Because sometimes you're not even sure. It just all gets mixed up in there. Step two, let me put down what's not mine because it's not my responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the dialogue for you? What, what did that look like um, between you and your inner empath? What was the conversation, argument, fist fight, whatever, <laughs> whatever it was? <laughs> There are days where it's a fist fight. There are some days where I feel like she just totally ignores me and doesn't mm-hmm. want to hear it. And it's like, no, I'm taking this on or I'm doing this because I have to. Or there's days where she's actually feels like completely numb and I'm like, hello, <laughs> is there anybody in there? But I, I feel very fortunate that Early on, I developed a deep relationship with my guides, who I believe are external to myself, which may or may not be true. Fuck it, whatever. It's whatever works for you, right? But there was such a trust in them and their ability to help me that when I would do this work, which often it came in like a visual form for me as opposed to words. Like I might say things from self, like we don't have to take this on or we're going to, we're going to separate ourselves from this. But I more so used a lot of visualization of, of separation of like cords that mm-hmm. I feel like people had seeped into me or just seeing myself kind of severing those and and walking away and and then using more affirming language of like see it's okay that people and you are going going to be safe if you let go of this and I feel like mine was really rooted in like assuring myself that I'm going to be okay and that things are going to be okay if I'm not taking responsibility for everybody and not feeling things all the time that I can have this inner knowing of like, oh, that person had a bad day without like sitting in it. And that I'm actually, I'm of more and better service when I'm not seeped in it. (laughs) I can hold space for people better when I'm not drowning in their shit. So it's it's like a lot of back and forth around that. And I, I feel very lucky that it, it hadn't, hasn't turned into a real wrestling match what honestly ended up turning into a wrestling match, which is something that I'd been working on over the last like four years is this part of me that developed just so terrified that there actually was something wrong with me Hmm. because working in the lab and on that study that I met you when I was presenting that study, I developed such a cognitive dissonance within myself around my experiences and working in this system that is so flawed and stigmatizing and is there to try and just snuff out our parts instead of understanding them and letting us grow and heal from them. It's like, here's a pill. Here's what's wrong with you. We have to stop this. And it fucked me up. Like I was fucked up for three years. And when I say fucked up, I mean, just like so confused about whether or not I was crazy 
that I had to stop doing reading and engaging in spiritual activities because it freaked me out. And that part has probably been the most difficult part to work with because it's so scared. And again, we're talking about someone who since birth has thought that there was something wrong with them physically. So it's probably yeah. the same part of freaking the fuck out, but yeah. Yeah. How did you navigate? Cause we also have that in common kind of working in the public mental health system, needing to, uh, in a sense, put on the suit, wear the outfit, get all neat and tidy, and unfortunately hide certain parts of ourselves. I personally, you know, even though so the, the Institute for the Development of Human Arts, that's kind of the organization I started after I kind of went sideways out of the public mental health system. And even though that was an organization that, and still to this day, is so accepting, so many different people, communities, um, we talk about spirituality there. Even this like the lingering feeling from the clinical, the little bits of clinical work that I did caught, just caught me up so much. And I can't say that I'm even necessarily fully healed from that. Now there's this fear and this terror that, you know, we can, you can step out of the broom closet a little bit, but if you wander too far out, or if you wear the witch hat, or if you bring your broom with you, that it's, you know, or take your grimoire or, you know, like just that, that it's gonna wind up bad for you. Not just because you may be pathologized or seen as crazy, but I feel like there's so much in and around that, an invalidation of your experience, or even to be quite frank, I I would say for me, I don't know if you resonate with this. I feel a fear around just kind of a general sense of not being taken seriously or people thinking that spirituality is frivolous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I had this period of time and people who've been following me since I, since I opened up, I had a spiritual healing center here in Connecticut. Since I opened up this space, I was so confident and like in my brand and like living my, living my truth and loving it. And then I moved over to this the Ivy Leagues and I think my brand changed like four or five times because I was like so frantic about how I presented and who I needed to be and who I needed to present as and if I was too spiritual I would lose the credibility of being this person who has intelligence and the capability of helping you to heal if you identify as somebody who has a mental illness, like, and wants to see it through that lens, like, I respect that. You want to see it as anxiety, depression, psychosis, whatever the fuck. Yeah, we'll go there. But if I'm too spiritual, I'm not going to be grounded enough to take care of you. And if I'm too clinical, then all my spiritual people are going to be like, no, this bitch is going to label us. <laughs> it's like, how do I, how do I find this balance? And that also contributed to not feeling well and to not just feeling like talk about making your parts go bananas. They're in there like, we need to be seen for who we are. Like you're not seen in your truth. And 
that's such a, there's there, that's a wrestling match. I get that. I'm just thinking, I just had this thought of this moment that happened when I was presenting at a lab meeting one time and there were some visiting neuroscientists there who their focus is on voice hearing as well. I had just spoken on this study that we're doing and all this wonderful data that we've collected and proving that not only can you have voice hearing experiences and function and not have a diagnosis, but you can actually have some control over them and control in the sense that like you can work with them and not have them feel like they're taking over completely. And this fucking guy. <laughs> so I'm literally sitting in this room and this guy is like, no, that it is impossible for someone to have these experiences and not be psychotic. <laughs> oh my God. And looking back now, I should have just flipped my shit on him (laughs) (laughs) and feeling more empowered now, I would have, but I felt so small and crazy. And just like, if it was a cartoon, there's question marks all over my head. Like, oh, like, oh my God, really? I can't, you know, be functioning. And it's just this one fucking guy. And it's infuriating to think about, but I bring this up because the system that we're in, in the mental health system, because I still work in the mental health system. Like I'm in private practice. I'm still technically, you know, in the system, if you will, but it is so fundamentally flawed with how we train people to see these experiences that we have. And even with proof, and even no matter how grounded you are, there are people who are still out there like, no, you're crazy. <laughs> like, what about me is so crazy? Enlighten me. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I have some fucking crystals on my desk. But like, <laughs> tell me, what about me is so like dysfunctional and, you know, diagnosable? Yeah, I don't know. That thought, that memory yeah. just popped into my head and I'm like, oh, I'm all pissed off now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, most of us have had experiences like that, but especially when it comes from someone who has a big name and a lot of institutional power, which the whole system of pathologizing our emotions has a lot of institutional power. But to your point, it's wild how even when you start to speak their language, even when you dress how they dress and you do the research the way that they can you know, validate the research, still sometimes, you know, quote unquote, not enough. I, um, you kind of read, read my mind. Maybe it's your empath spidey (laughs) powers, but I, I was so curious and wanted to uh, go in this direction next about that research, because you did some really fascinating research on, like you said, the ways in which people can hear voices and not, um, have, you know, negatively impactful mental health experiences with it. People can go their entire lives actually learning to have control over these voices and have it actually be a very generative aspect of their life. So what did you learn from some of that research? I was so excited to have the opportunity. I'm still so grateful that I had the opportunity to do this research because I met so many amazing people 
And I learned so much, but so much was also validated. And just, I think one of the most profound things that stood out for me was that, so we interviewed multiple groups of folks. So we interviewed people who are from spiritual communities who identified as psychic mediums. We interviewed people who were voice hearers and saw their experiences through a more clinical lens. So they were specifically from the Hearing Voices Network, an amazing group of folks. And what was so wild is that these skills that both groups developed to obtain some sort of control over their experience were this it was the same thing that they were that they were saying so psychic mediums and most well i'll just use my experience when i say control i mean i don't want to talk to all these dead people all day long it's distracting so i only want to talk to the dead people when i'm doing a reading so if i got nancy later today at two o'clock no fred i know it's your wife and you're excited to talk to her, but do not talk to me until two o'clock. And boom, we good. Don't have to hear from Fred until it's time. So there's control there where I'm not just being bombarded all day. There's a boundary, right? Like same thing if my mom is calling me all day, I don't have to pick up and I won't. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a boundary there. You decide when you're going to pick up, right? So we would have these, these psychic mediums talking to us about establishing boundaries, establishing a relationship with the spirits that they're connecting to, with the energy that they're connecting to, using mindfulness practices, using meditation, using visualization, and really like connecting to those energies and letting them know like, this is what I want. And this is what I'm the only thing I'm willing to accept. And also the community around them, which helps to empower them and feel normal and feel grounded in their experiences. And then we would talk to folks from the Hearing Voices Network and they were talking about establishing a relationship with their voices and establishing boundaries with their voices and using mindfulness practices and having a community because the community helps them to feel normal and the community helps them to develop other skills. And it was, I was like, holy shit, this is so amazing that we could be using these same skills They're easily translatable across both worlds and easily something that is teachable to anyone, whether you have voice hearing experience or not. But um, so that really stuck out for me. But also the importance of normalization of these experiences. And that was very clear when we took a trip to Lilydale, New York. Have you heard of the Lilydale? <laughs> so it is a really tiny community, way, way, way upstate New York. I think we're like right on the border of Canada or something. I don't even know where we were on the border of. We were way the hell up there. And this group is, or this town is one of the first, if not the first, spiritualist community in the U.S. And so they settled there. And mediumship is a big part of spiritualism. And so you just had generation after generation after generation of mediums 
being born and living in this community. And so we went up there to visit and interviewed these folks. And they are so grounded in their experiences and functioning well. Like granted, some people have like trauma still and anxiety and things like that, but not to the extreme that we see and diagnose elsewhere. But none of their diagnoses, quote unquote, were because of their quote unquote symptoms of hearing things or seeing things. Because these people are born into a community that hearing and seeing things is the norm. And mm-hmm. if you're like, oh, there's a woman standing over there, your mom's like, oh, that's just, you know, Aunt Francine, or, you know, and there's no stigma around it. And so these people, are so much more healthy because they're not going up against this narrative outside of themselves saying that everything that you're experiencing is wrong, which I feel like contributes so heavily to the degree at which we experience these things in a negative way. Because we're also battling these parts of us that are like, you're fucked up because you're having this experience versus you're just having this experience. And while the experience in and of itself might be a little bit distressing, it's not going to come with this added story that because it's happening, there's something wrong with you. And now we have pure chaos going on within ourselves. Yeah. And so that was the biggest thing I took from the normalization. Yeah. I think that's so, so crucial. And also it just is the reality that so many people hear voices and we just don't know that. I think I read on your website, it said something like 30% of the population hears voices. That's like, I don't know the exact statistics of this, but that's like how many people have green eyes or like, you know, it's so prevalent. Yeah. That's beautiful. And that is really cool to know that um, a community like that exists. That's amazing. Yeah. It's cool if you ever get a chance to visit. It's really like they don't have air conditioning anywhere. (laughs) So I was dying in the summer, but it's, you know, they all have these like really cute little houses and it's really teeny weeny. And there's like this little mail room. Like it's so cute, but you know, there's a forest that you walk through and they have like community gallery readings all the time. And it's just like, just part of their life. And it's so cool. What for you really helped you claim your gifts and grow into them in professionally and personally? Literally community. This woman who is still a dear, dear friend of mine took me under her wing. I was working in insurance at the time and she, uh, she's a psychic medium and she approached me one day And I had like really bad anxiety at the time. This is like, it was maybe 21. And she approached me one day and was like, so I think you're connecting to spirits. (laughs) I was just like, what? She's like, I think you're connecting to spirits. And that's why you're always freaking out. (laughs) And me being, you know, born spooky bitch. I was like, yes this makes sense. <laughs> like there is no question. And I was like, I need to know everything. And she, she really did. She took me under her wing. She brought me to 
a healing center and there was just a community of folks and there were development groups and mediumship classes and meditation groups. And I was just learning with all of these people who are all ages and we all came with like, you know, our stories of things that we've experienced. And honestly, all of us, I think, just wanted to be validated. Mm-hmm. And so doing that work brought such a level of validation that the experiences we have don't make us nuts. They're just happening because there's something more, there's something greater that we're connecting to, whatever it may be. That was so validating and so grounding. And it changed my life completely. I'm not joking when I say I was like off meds within like a month. I was like, well, I'm grounded now. <laughs> Toodles. <laughs> and got off these meds. So I was like, I need to know what the fuck this, what, what life feels like doing this work, not on meds. Because those meds made me so yeah. like numbed out. Yeah. And I wanted to just like feel the things again. So it, it was that community that was just such a pivotal part of my life. Yeah. And like so much common sense there, right? When we talk about psychiatry and psychology, it's like, hmm, maybe the fact that we think that we're crazy is what's driving us crazy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like so simple. It's so simple. But I expect nothing less from an ass backwards system that tells you all the things that you have to do to be well, but then doesn't do that themselves or for the people who work in their community. Instead, they're like, work harder, take more clients, pull your hair out. Like everything is so fucking ass backwards. (laughs) Like I'm not surprised at all. Put a bunch of old white men on a panel. This is what you're going to (laughs) get. This is, it. this is what we got. But the the antidote to that, interestingly, you know, I was reflecting as you were talking about some woman pulling you aside. That's basically what happened to me too. I was 17, freaking out. And this this older healer who was never condescending to me, never like treated me like um not even like her student or her mentee. She treated me like a genuine friend and, and colleague almost, and, and taught me everything that I know about energy work. Why, why is that usually kind of the thing that happens is, you know, some older woman mentor pulling you aside and saying, Hey, Hey girl, you're not crazy. (laughs) You got this. Let's do this together. It's amazing. (laughs) I love that. I love it. There are, are in flesh guides. <laughs> Truly. I love it. <laughs> I'm glad you had that experience too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like that that woman, that healer, definitely saved my life. And my hope is that I get to pay it forward. You're doing that with your podcast and all the work you do. Well, yeah, same to you. You have so many different modalities now that you integrate tarot, EMDR, psychic readings, holistic counseling, like all of it. Tell us more about your work, how people can find you and what sessions are like with you. Sessions are a real gas. (laughs) So if it's not abundantly clear by things we're talking about, right now 
unless people are like itching for a diagnosis, that's the last thing that I bring up in a session. My sessions are simply to explore what's going on for us, help us gain a deeper understanding of why those parts of us have shown up to get some clarity in that so we can heal from it so that we can really manifest and create a future that's more aligned with how we want to be experiencing the world and and living in it. I don't, so if people come to me for therapy, I don't flat out do psychic medium readings in those. It's funny, over time, my readings turned more into therapy uh, in a sense because I found that just simply reading people and telling them like, this is what's going on and this is your future, they kept coming back and I wasn't giving them the tools to feel empowered to make those things happen for themselves. And Mm -hmm. so I like to use my intuition, not blatantly, like I'm not like my spirit guides are here and they're telling me this, like I more so let the energy guide me to what are going to be the important questions to ask or topics of conversation to get into to help my people really explore and connect and trust their self because so much of what I do, I find that people just don't trust themselves to make decisions or to keep themselves safe or to feel like they can get themselves where they want to be. It's like they, it's like, and this happens for me too. It's these younger parts of ourselves that haven't been able to develop past these really breaking points in our lives they don't even register that there's an adult version of us in there that's totally capable. And mm-hmm. so I like to help people really connect all of those parts and help those parts recognize that there's a fully capable, empowered human within us that can shift these things for ourselves, shift our lives into a direction that we want to be moving in and to do it from a place of authenticity. So we're not continuing to snuff out our own voices and silence ourselves continuously, make sure our needs are met at all times. I love obviously internal family systems, the parts work and EMDR and just narrative therapies. And I use CBT if we, you know, we're really freaking out and catastrophic mm-hmm. just to like root us into reality, mindfulness. I use a whole smorgasbord of stuff. And we try to have fun. Like I, this woman that I worked with, uh, she's a photographer. She's wonderful. Her name's Teresa um, Not, And she, she's like, your theme is not your mama's therapist because it's not like where you're sitting there like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, and granted, yeah, sometimes I might actually do that. So I'll be like, mm, oh, <laughs> I'm genuinely surprised, but I try to bring humor to it because healing's fucking messy and hard. Yeah. And to be able to laugh when we're talking about fucked up stuff like rape and other forms of trauma, abuse, neglect, like it brings a little bit of levity to the situation. And so sessions are basically like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it sounds like you also do um, individual 
psychic readings or tarot readings and other things on the on the spooky bitch side spooky yes. bitch therapy yes Spooky Bitch Therapy is fully available. I have people who still come to me just for readings or even just for like a chat. (laughs) I'll chat about things. More of the Spooky Bitch stuff. Like I'll do Reiki and things like that with my clients who do individual therapy with me. When we do, I do EMDR intensives, which are more cozy and retreat style. So we'll sit four or five hours together, um, have our tea, have a blankie you know, do some meditation, do some Reiki if wanted. We could do spirit guide stuff or higher self connections all while incorporating IFS and EMDR and just doing some real deep healing work together. That's pretty, pretty dope. (laughs) Amazing. So where can people find you? Do you have anything else coming up that you want people to know about? Yeah. So you can find me. I'm on Instagram at Brittany Quagan. And then my website is BrittanyQuaganCounseling.com. As far as things coming up, I actually so pumped. I just got invited to be a keynote speaker at the Karuna conference here in Connecticut. Ooh, um, that's April 20th, which I'm really excited about. We're going to be talking about all this stuff that we talked about today and just introducing other ways for us to work with just work with humans because they're humans without all this stigma and BS. Uh, and there's going to be some amazing other speakers that are there um, that I'm excited to see. But otherwise, honestly, my schedule is fucking bananas. So it, upcoming would be like individual sessions that people set up with me and, and EMDR intensives. I'm working on putting together a retreat right now, which Yay. I'm really hoping to do. It'll probably be more in the fall summer or fall. I'm working on that. So more to come, but if you follow me, I'll obviously announce it (laughs) when it's coming. Great. Thank you so much for sharing your heart, your story, your humor, your spooky bitchness. I love it so much. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. I'm so grateful to you for being here. I also have something for you to take with you. It's a workbook and meditation bundle called Reclaiming All Parts of You. I created it as someone who really resonates with moving through a lot of shame, insecurity, and self-doubt to really tackle these issues so that you can stop hiding and feel free to express more of you. The link to that is in the description below. It's free. You can just sign up with your email. And if you loved this episode or this podcast, please let me know. I would love it if you left me a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you liked and how it supported you. And I love hearing from you in general. So if you have a question for me or want me to talk about a specific topic on this podcast, send me an email and let me know. Until next time.